Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I am Aliza Kelly, and I am so delighted to be here with David Palmer, a.k.a. the Leo King, a.k.a. the number one celebrity astrologer in the goddamn world. (laughs) (laughs) That was not part of the title that (laughs) David said when I asked him for his, but is true and important. David and I have actually been connected for like five years now, but this is the first time that we're meeting. So that is super cool and exciting. I'm here in Los Angeles with him. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me here. And I just love what you do. I mean, I got to say, who's the other celebrity astrologer out there? It's you. Well, and of course, we're, we're both, both Leos. Leos. <laughs> <laughs> that's our bit. I mean, that's it what is. we're working with. And I also, I'm one of the things that I'm really excited to talk to you about is the spe- the specificity of your Leo placement, because like me, you're not just a straight up Leo. You are also a Leo of the 12th house, which mm. is such a magical and mystical and uh, spiritually intense, for lack of a better word, area of the chart to have Leo. So we're going to get into that. But before we do, can you tell our listeners you know, who you are other than being number one, um, how you got started, and what your journey into astrology has been like? Yeah, I mean, I think like most astrologers, we all got into it by just having fun with the sun signs, you know, when we were young and kids. And then I ended up at some like swap meet or some people call them flea markets. And there was this psychic lady with a booth who threw me tarot cards. And I'm like, I don't, what are you talking about? And she was like, you're psychic. And I'm like, I'm not here to buy anything. (laughs) And uh, I don't have cash. (laughs) Right. And I was not in a good state in my life talking about 12th house stuff. I was on drugs. And I was bored. Uh, one of the things that the 12th house is all about. Yeah. And I was walking around at six in the morning because I had nothing to do. So, uh, and I actually wanted to escape the weirdness in the apartment I was in. So long story short, she gave me these cards. I brought them back to the apartment, started doing readings for people, and they were all blown away. And I was always into astrology. And then I got kicked out of the military, actually, and ended up in jail. And it was astrology that helped me understand that. Mm. Another 12th house situation. Yep, so, jail is 12th house. Um, you know, it was those... It's amazing when it's literal like that, when it's just like, these are the topics that can fit in the 12th house, and it's like... 100%. <laughs> all of them are being mentioned. And that's really what it was, was everything in my life was going the wrong direction until astrology helped me see what that right direction was, what, which is very 12th house, which was a spiritual path, like a path of doing something of true selfless service with 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 my inspiration and my love and my positivity. I always had that, but it was kind of directed in wrong areas or anything. And so the journey really just blew up. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I was lucky to do a lot of reality television in the 2000s into the 2010s. And that's when I started to push the astrology on reality TV. I was on a show called ABC True Beauty in 2010. And it was a really big show because it was done by um, Ashton Kutcher, Tyra Banks, and um, also the people who do The Bachelor, which is Warner Horizon. And so we were on this huge time slot Monday nights, 10 p.m., and there I am, the crazy wild astrologer on TV. And people were like, it was the first time a reality show had an astrologer. So I built my whole brand off that in 2010, and it was a really crazy moment because I thought it was going to be a lot greater than it was, but it didn't turn out that great. People didn't respond well. And that's what brought me to YouTube, which was like, I'm going to do a daily video horoscope every day. 
And I've been doing that every day for seven and a half years. Wow. And uh, 10,000 plus videos now. And it's just uh, everything. I mean, we, everything under the sun. It just all showed up, you know? You do that every day? Every day. I have a daily video out and um, produce about 30 videos a week myself. How do you keep your energy up? And also, I guess, even from one astrologer to another, how do you keep the content exciting and fresh, especially if you're doing it daily? Sometimes, you know, there's not really that many dramatic movements in the sky from one day to the next. Yeah, I mean, what it is, is I think p part of it is, I coined it as an inspirational daily astrology horoscope. So some days, you know, I, I've created an energy meter. So I'll be like, today's energy is low, or it's gonna be, you know, warm, or it's gonna be hot, or is it gonna be extreme? Now. Lately, it's been extreme for yeah. <laughs> this last, you know, year and a half or so. So it's 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 been pretty popping. But but helping people gauge in a more simplistic way of understanding these under what's going on and actually giving them tools of like maybe there might not be something crazy today, but there always is some sort of cycle closing or getting ready to close, or it's coming to a square point, or it's coming to its opposition, or it's it's waning part, or it's waxing part. So there's a lot of like teaching people like this is where it's going. Like it's like really showing people like this is where it's going. And on those days where it might be low, it's like, hey, this is what you're learning. This is what you can apply. And use this great moment where it's kind of low to actually like make sure you're still on that path without getting kind of lost off of it, you know? Right, and just because, you know, not every day is eclipse season or retrograde season doesn't mean that we don't have work to do. Totally. Even when the moon is void of course. I mean, I love a void of course moon because to me that's actually when I can like just kind of get my shit together. Yeah. Um, when the moon is no longer making any aspects as it's finishing its movement through one sign, that's called void of course. And really it's kind of like, get out of jail free card. Like if you send a shitty email, if you have a fight with someone void, of course, like it's gone. Like it's like the slate gets wiped clean during that time. Yeah. And you notice when you look around, like it's not as busy of traffic or things are kind of just f floating. It's a good time to just sit back on your couch. Or, yeah. And catch you know. your breath and be like, okay, yeah. what's the plan moving forward? Um, at the same time, you know, and when you get like an exciting opportunity or something great comes your way during void, of course, you're like, all right, well, let's see. Yeah, like it's kind <laughs> of see if this sticks. It is kind of like a Mercury retrograde thing. Like, oh, this big contract just landed. Oh, let's well, let's see. wait until the morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, with that, a lot of the work that you're doing is we talked about um, evolutionary astrology and mundane astrology. Mundane astrology, I would imagine, is something that you incorporate into your videos if you're doing them daily a lot. Yes. And, and for those that don't know, mundane is really just a, like a, a horoscope for what's happening in the world. So you can go into any direction with it, which is awesome. But I really coined it like illuminating the collective consciousness, which is like, we all are going through the same transits. That's really what mundane starts to focus on. It gets out of the sun signs. It gets out of the rising signs. It gets out of your own chart and really starts to go, okay, well, if Mars right now is in Leo, you know, and Mercury's retrograding in Leo, okay, so everybody's going to be going through those aspects. And how does that apply for everybody? So for me, that's really my favorite place is showing that we all are going through the same thing at the same time, because that's a really powerful common denominator. But mundane is such a weird term. So I don't use the term, but I do do that style of astrology a lot 
because I love looking into the political spectrum or I love looking even in entertainment or I might like looking at the shifting in what's going on in different parts of the world. And that's what my favorite thing is to do. But also the consciousness between people is probably my favorite of mundane astrology. Like we are evolving as a species right now together in this area. And this is where we are going to advance. And this is where we just finished this area for this many years or what it might be to help people go, yeah, you're done with that. Like this is where it all is now and focus on that and see that in your friends, see that in your lover, see that in the person that you're, you know, running into so you can connect better. Yeah. I think that uh, something interesting about mundane astrology also is that even though everybody is going to be impacted differently by the transits, Mundane astrology is really part of the collective consciousness. It mm. all puts us on the same plane. And when we look at the outer planets with mundane astrology as well, so you know, really anything from Jupiter on, we can see how generations of people are sort of going through things at similar times. And then, you know, we have that in political socio-political theory, right? When we have the baby boomers or mm-hmm. we have you know, the generation Gen X, we have millennials, we have Gen Z. Gen Y. Gen Y, I'm sorry, the forgotten Gen. I know. (laughs) (laughs) My bad. The Pluto Libras. (laughs) I know. The Pluto Pluto Libras is so real, I think. Mm -hmm. It's like, (laughs) they're they're so like, you know, baby boomers were were Pluto Leo, right? Like they, and they are here to make everyone know that they are Pluto Leo. Yeah. Pluto Libra, which is like, you guys, let's transform things through peace and balance and like harmony. And then coming after or right before Pluto Scorpio, which is so intense, like those Pluto Libras are really getting the shit end of the stick, I think. Yeah, and I am one. And it was weird when I was born in 84 and July 23rd. It, it was weird because Pluto had retrograded back from Scorpio into Libra, finished the transit and went direct. And so I was born with it direct getting ready to come into Scorpio, which it did in August uh, of, uh, of 84. So it was like a very weird moment there. And Pluto Librans, like as one, yeah, we want peace, we want everything, but like we, man, we have relationship problems, you know, yes. like um, big time. Yes. And also when we think of like Woodstock 99, yeah. like that was the Pluto Libra generation. Yeah. And that was not a very balanced event <laughs> no that's, that's true <laughs> it was like straight up like limp biscuit corn mm-hmm. yeah marilyn manson were there there was no peace love it was like riots yeah that's true <laughs> and i think pluto librans too the the uh, the generation is like it's it's smart it's intelligent but it also is like it's willing to look at all sides like we're really not we can be judgmental, but we really, before we do that, we are willing to like, look at, oh yeah, I'll look at it. But then that can lead us into trouble sometimes. Pluto is the boundary keeper kind of saying like, hey, yeah. <laughs> you know, like what the heck here? But I think that through all the transits of like Uranus and Aries opposing the Plutos for all those Pluto Librans, like we we went through sweeping change that was radical and, and really taught us like, okay, maybe those partners aren't going to work or this situation is imbalanced. So I'm not going to go there anymore. Mm-hmm. So we learn through, you know, it's kind of like people who drink a lot of alcohol, the kidneys rule Libra, right? It's kind of like Pluto Libras are walking around, like realizing like, okay, that's a hangover now. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Okay. I'm done yeah, with that totally, one. Totally. Totally. You know? Yes, absolutely. Do you think that the Pluto Sages are going to save the world? 
I think that they're going to bring knowledge that people may, maybe they're going to be the ones who actually are like Indiana Jones is like, they're going to go to these places and explore maybe with Pluto Scorpios who kind of like will go into the temples, but like kind of be the ones with the one, the ones that will understand what to do and also shift the perspective of the planet too. I think that's going to be a big thing because we tend to think, children or you know anything they don't know anything adults know everything or whatever but you go talk to a pluto sag like they know more than i feel like i was like screwed like at 10 years old i was like you know still thinking about like my bicycle and, <laughs> and whatever and they're like da, 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 and, da, 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 and they know how to do everything yeah and like, they like, know wow. how to they speak in meme and yeah. they can just like churn out uh, content so fast they can do they can, they do, can do everything anything. and they can do it faster <laughs> than we ever i think we all got screwed if you're not if you're if you're not a pluto sag like anything prior we got we didn't get that no pluto really sag is, a, is lucky it's a lucky placement yeah. because i think where pluto libra gets screwed is in the complacency where pluto scorpio gets fucked is in its intensity and totally. being like this you know like i'm that's the system like damn I'm not fucking with it then. And Pluto's Sag is like, let's have some fun. Like, yeah. okay, I get it. Everything sucks. Like, that's the meme culture of like, LOL, run me over by a car. You totally. know, like that's that's Pluto Sag energy. But, Pluto yeah. Libra, Pluto Scorpio would never play like that. No. <laughs> but the thing is, like the, the 2000s majority of it was like Pluto uh, Sag. And that's also the excess we saw. Like, I remember the 2000s being this, oh yeah. And then look what happened in the housing market was... Everybody went too far, took a second mortgage out and then bought a big boat and then couldn't handle it all. You know, it's like excess can be their issue, though. Yes, definitely. I mean, in a Jupiter land. So talking about so a lot of the work that you do is also thinking and, and explaining astrology um, through these different talk shows. You do stuff with Steve Harvey, who's like an amazing Capricorn. He's awesome. Um, how do you take the sort of meat and the. The, I don't know, the erudite aspects of astrology and keep those while still making it accessible and talking about celebrity culture, pop culture, sort of lighter, more, dare I say, superficial topics. Well, it's a very Pluto Libra thing, right? The balance <laughs> That's of, just true, uh, it is. How to do this. So one is, before I even look at that celebrity culture or anything, like I'm making sure I'm doing the work of the deep stuff first all the time and making sure that that message is always out there. So I don't abandon that for that kind of glitz and glam Hollywood thing, because I think that that's what can happen is like, oh, you can get a PR person and then an agent, and then you can get a manager, and then like you can get on all these shows and you can do all this. And it's like, oh, but I'm not going to be able to do my daily horoscope. No, I won't take that gig. I'm going to keep that. So I'm always anchored into that place. But when you're on a show... What you do is, is you start to teach either the hosts or you teach the audience or you teach the people who are watching astrology and relating it to their lives or giving them, you know, doses of it that like actually are going to like blow their mind a little bit. But you can't do it too much because then they think you're speaking in tongue or you're speaking <laughs> in these crazy places. And I think it's about finding a relatability to people and also owning it. One thing I've learned is like as astrologers, we have to own that we are astrologers, one. Two, we have to own that astrologers are a celebrity themselves. So when I coined myself as a celebrity astrologer, I'm not saying it's because 
you know, I do celebrity charts or something. That's what I think a lot of people think. I think that it's like astrologers have always been on the courts with king and queens as like a major role and model and figure. And that's something that has been lost is like astrologers are not looked at as like this role model anymore, this like a figure that's like, like how, I mean, look at like Dr. Phil, right? It's like, oh, he's a clinical psychologist, you know, and he's big. So it's like, why can't an astrologer be that on their own? And especially with the knowledge that's been around for longer than clinical psychology forever, and it's actually coined from astrology, there's this aspect of bringing back that ownership to astrology as a guide that everybody is like, what are you going to say? And they want to hear it. And that's what you got to do is like show up and own that and not question it because there's always going to be hosts that kind of question it or I don't know. And then you know what? You got to know your facts. You got to know how it all works. So when someone says to you, you know, now I'm, I'm going to role play as like the person on the morning show and being like, David, mm-hmm. how does this really work? Do the stars really affect my personality? And what if, and they'll say, so I was born on January 8th. Am I really just like everyone who was born on January 8th? Did I do a good job? You did a really good job. (laughs) What I teach people, first of all, is like understanding like that, you know, especially in Western astrology, that we are looking at tropical astrology. So I always go, remember third grade? And do you remember on the map, the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn? And they always say no. <laughs> so I'm always like, okay, so you did okay, get so taught that. One point off. <laughs> you know, so, you know, like I then described that, what that is to them and how the sun and, and the ecliptic are, are everything to astrology. That we base this off this ecliptic element which a lot of people if you don't know the sun and the moon are on the same path like they're on this ecliptic path it's not like you wake up in the morning and the sun's going to be like in this random new spot every morning right like it's always going to rise in the east or you know and uh, set in the west and there's this perfect line and if you notice on that ecliptic band where the sun is or where the moon is at night you're going to see that the planets are on that same alignment too and it's like we base off astrology and tropical not off like where the planet is in the stars but like this is based off where everything is where the sun's position is on the ecliptic and kind of going from there and understanding the seasons like all the zodiac is based off the the zodiacal tropical understanding of the seasons so with aries is the sun exalted on march 20th or 21st depending on where you're at because the sun now has crossed over this equinox point and it's six months of more sun than darkness so it's exalted and it gets its hero and it's the it just went through pisces the last sign of the zodiac where it was the you know at there was still more dark than light and there's that like kind of realization to people that it's really based off the sun and the sun's position in the relationship between the sun and the earth because it doesn't matter the shifting of this you know whole entire aspect of the 23 degrees of the earth and then you start getting into so much where people get really confused about the 13th sign and all that stuff could we just quickly touch on that because i have some i have some thoughts on it um but i'd first like to know yours because mine are going to be mostly shade oriented yeah well i would say that one the procession of the equinox is based upon understanding the ages not the position of where the planets are for us and how we are affected on earth now as far as like you have to realize that that shift is always going to shift 
And it will always come back at some time back to exact with the ecliptic as far as like tropically and sidereally, it'll come back to Aries and Aries at one point. But what the ancients used it as is like, if you look on, they use Aries zero point in the chart to go, okay, what is the sidereal zodiac that's shifting behind it? That's how we know we're in the age of Pisces and we're leaving and going the age of Aquarius. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a layer of understanding these ages, because even though the earth might be doing this wobble, that might be creating this new look, it doesn't mean that you're still not in the car. If it's shaking and you're looking in the rearview mirror and it might shift for a second, it might look like you're in a different position, but you're not, you're still in the same place on the same road going the same direction. And what hasn't changed in thousands of years is that the spring, the summer, the the equinoxes, like and the solstices are the exact same time of year. Every year, you rely on that one hundred percent. Right, and also, you know, I, I I think that there is this misconception, and a lot of this is because of the language used with astrology that we call, um, that we call the different signs constellations. Mm-hmm. But the signs are associated with constellations, mm-hmm. but they themselves are not constellations. Correct. There are equal parts around a 360 wheel. Yeah. And in Western astrology, we have 12 different sections. Yeah. So each one of those are equal at 30 degrees. Yeah. There's no room for a 13th. Well, no, <laughs> because there's no, yeah. because we're not looking at we're not looking at constellations. We're looking at a wheel that is divided into these equal parts, which has its own mysticism and magic, because that is how we tell the story of um, our journey collectively on this earth as it proceeds through time. Yes. And it's a lot like, why do they not put a 13th uh, floor on a building? Right. Right. There's also why we don't put a 13th sign in there. And also because in that ecliptic aspect, when you look up at night or in the morning with where the sun will be and all that, you're going to notice that everything is connected to the ecliptic. Sure, you can look up in the sky and see a bunch of other constellations and everything, but if you notice that you don't get that much story or power, because if you actually look at this ecliptic band, this is where the planets are, this is where the sun and the moon are, and how ironic that they're right there. Like, they're, It's all connected, though, to this sound wave, which is th- there is this Tropic of Cancer and Capricorn, which creates like this sun as it comes up to its solstice point from the equinox and then it falls down from the, the the solstice to the next equinox and then it falls all the way down to the next solstice where Capricorn, it rises back up and it, the goat has to move on up again and right. bring the sun back up. Right, and which so is why it, it's the sea goat because yeah. it, it touches the bottom, the sea, yeah. and then it has to climb all the way back up. All the way up. back up. And, you know, the, the, this is what it's based off of. And I think that they think the science community has never looked at it this way. So it's funny when they look at it, they look at it from their own perspective, but they're not even looking at how astrologers are doing this. And that's, I think, a debate that well, I think will soon come in, in years ahead, but I think we've never had our shot yet. Right, totally. I mean, I see it as, you know, it would be as if a surgeon told a painter um, about anatomy and then ridiculed the painter for not getting it right. Like how the, com- maybe the same subject totally different ways of seeing it, right? Is the painter, the abstract painter who's depicting the human body, is that not a human body because they're painting it abstractly? No, they're no. still painting a picture of the form. Yeah. So we, when we're thinking of like astronomy versus astrology, yes, we're using the same 
planets. We're using a lot of the same tools, in fact. You know, we're yeah. all using the ephemeris, but we're just interpreting it and approaching it very differently. And that's okay. It is okay. And also, if you have this 13 sign, like, all the signs are also associated with planets just as much as they are associated with constellations. So, unless we find some other planet, because any sign is going to be with a planet. So, like, even though we're using like asteroids like Chiron and we're using Juno and we're using all these other things, like they're not strong enough to like hold a sign, right. you know? And it's like, what else is out there? Because we've gone all the way to Pluto and now Voyager 1 and 2 have left our heliosphere and at the heliopause into the interstellar space now. And sure, they find these X planets they're talking about out there now in NASA, but those are all way out beyond there, like to where it's like, they don't have enough energy to hold a sign. Right. So, you know, there's something about this staying in that position that way. Do you think that we're going to, in our lifetime, have another groundbreaking planetary discovery? I mean, a lot of people want to go into Nibiru and Planet X. And I think it's ironic that if you look on a chart like Nibiru is in Taurus, Uranus is here. But I do feel that, you know, we really don't know as much about the sky from a scientific point of view than people are meant out to think that science knows. Like when you think about how big the sky is, like, and how big earth is. And when you're looking and where are you looking like these, they're just shooting like a little, a little, it's like a, it's almost like a needle in a haystack and how they're looking. But Everything is coming, could be coming at us from any direction. So asteroids, you know, they have a hard time with that one. Like they just kind of announce when it happens or like comets. We haven't had a comet in a long time. I think the last one was Elenin in 2011. And I was following that one a lot. But it's like these things just pop up out of nowhere, you know, and and they just kind of go, oh, this is it. I don't know if you saw that asteroid that came in called Ua Ua Uma. It was in 2017. And NASA even said this thing was not natural because of its form. I remember that, yeah. And it passed through. Yeah, it was like it, a, it was like a, it was like a long yeah. slate, yeah. And it came in, and what's really weird about it is it just like was the first time that an, an outer, like something that is from outside our solar system came in. I think we're looking a little bit too much at planetary stuff instead of now really starting to look at more of like, well, what are these weird things coming in? Like, we think in culture that an alien is going to look like something that a human created in some movie or something, but truly alien is truly alien as far as not knowing what it is. That could have been an alien itself. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that when we see Saturn go into Aquarius, we're going to see a lot of innovation and, um, and, and a lot of information about like how macro this world yeah. is. Do you feel like that... Um, has the potential to threaten astrology? Oh, I think astrology will always... It, it might threaten the Vedic astrology systems, but Western, we adapt. We open up. We are willing to adapt constantly. I mean, right? Like, Chiron's found in 77, and look at that. We, we, yeah, and, uh, and that was like, we slotted Chiron right on in. It was yeah. like, oh, 77, we need a yeah, healer. That's what the rhetoric of the time is. Totally. And so it's like, we're adaptable. We're using Eastern philosophies. The dark moon cycle is a Tibetan philosophy. We're using it. We're mixing it all into the pot here. Um, and so that's what I think. I don't think astrology is threatened for the fact that, if anything, it's 
better when we find more new stuff, you know? So no, I don't think that there's, there's that unless, unless the relationship between the sun and the earth change. Yeah. But then I think that, you know, if for instance, we go to Mars then we use heliocentric. Mm-hmm. We we sort of adjust our view so that right. this, we're at the center, right. or the sun is at the center right. rather than Earth. So I think that, to your point, it is very adaptable. And when we look at history, every time there has been a massive planetary discovery, those are the moments when astrology is more popular and more needed than ever. So hor- daily horoscopes started in 1930 after Pluto was discovered. And the moon landing and all of the space race of the 60s brought in all of this, you know, new age horoscope work yeah. that we're that basically is the foundation of where we are now. And then in the 80s, we had another astrology re- revival, even though Joan Quigley kind mm-hmm. of like <laughs> made it a little questionable. Yeah. Not to me. I think Joan Quigley is amazing, yeah, but to the was, public. Yeah. Well, and I think because it was just weird. Because, you know, it was a Republican president and, you know, they associate more with just being straight Christian and like to have And then an like maybe Reagan yeah. was like in and, Alzheimer's land. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think he was a traditional Republican either. He was an actor and he... He was an Aquarius. Yeah. You know, so like, you know, and honestly, he was shot and he was under the zero curse of the Jupiter-Saturn years of a president elected on a Jupiter-Saturn zero year, like Lincoln, like Grant, like JFK, like him, like, like George, even W. Bush, who had a plane tried to... And a shoe almost hit him. I remember that. I mean, that was the, um, you know, the best moment of his presidency you know, in my so, memory. That's the whole thing about these zero-year presidents. I'm really concerned about the 2020 election just because but of But isn't that. it... So we're talking now about the Great Conjunction, which is when Jupiter and Saturn do their... Every 20 years, yeah. they form this um, alignment where they meet. Um, and now it's going to be in Capricorn, which feels like extra potent, especially with the eclipses in Cancer and Capricorn. The United States is... Uh, Pluto return is also going to be in Capricorn. Yeah. Capricorn represents the government and the systems and establishment. So just layers on layers on layers. We were both working in 2016. Um, did you know Trump was going to win? Yeah. And I got a lot of flack for it because I did a lot of videos about it. And um, I'm part of ISAR and and I got in a little flack for calling out the organizations and being like, not really that up to date with technology or connecting with outside of just astrologers, but like really trying to connect a community. And especially that they all called Hillary Clinton when it was like, come on, like this guy's got a lunar eclipse on the exact moment with Mars on Regulus and the rising Regulus and his progressed sun just crossed his rising during the election. And if you look at his chart, I mean, he has a lot of amazing aspects. And it was, it made sense to me, especially just at the time and where we were at in life. Like, it was just like, this was a crazy age about to come out. So what was better than a really radical, intense, crazy chart, you know? And, uh, and also in Hillary's chart, she has South Node. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it's uh, with, with, what was it? I was just trying to remember. It's, I think she's South Node Taurus. Uh, or North Node Taurus and South Node Scorpio, I think with Venus and the Sun and all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, isn't she South yeah. Node uh, and, Sun conjunct? Yeah, and and also she has her Venus and Scorpio and stuff. And it was like she can't use people like her husband or a Barack Obama to get where she wants this life. Like that was the problem. I was like, that 
her lesson is the North Node in Taurus, like do it yourself. Right. But she relied on everybody else to get her where she wanted to go, including if her husband cheats on her a million times over and staying, like without, you know, I was like, that's not Taurus. That's not owning your value. Like right. she should have owned her value right away in Arkansas and been like, no, you cheated on me. Like I'm done. Like she's a Scorpio for God's sake. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there was a part of her that, that I think that was her karma to 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 lose that by learning the lesson of now if you see her she like I think she only shows up with her husband if there's like a funeral but it's just about her now I think she's learned that lesson yeah I I remember watching the I had my first podcast in 2016 and I you know we would do weekly updates on what's going on with the planets and it was we started in like the winter of that year in February. And as we got closer and closer, it'd be like, and on today's planetary report, it's like, uh, we have every single fucking planet in retrograde. Yeah. <laughs> like, nothing is working normally. Um, and then that went from, you know, Trump being like the joke of the Republican Party to then being the only person. Mm-hmm. It was like him and Ted Cruz. Right. And then like Ted Cruz, like, just can't deal no he's yeah he's he's a capricorn and you know (laughs) right i mean and in that way like i do think of as we progress through the zodiac you know the signs as they get older do become wiser yeah but something that gemini has and all of you know the first four signs really so aries taurus gemini and cancer is this um they they have this juvenile quality to them which can be sort of annoying especially to the older signs, but the older signs take things so seriously. Yeah. And the the little baby signs are like, who cares? Whatever, right. you're ugly. Yeah. And and Ted Cruz is like, you can't right. do that. And that ultimately was part of what the chasm was, you know, is the break was that we had not, we had Gemini Trump just saying whatever the fuck he wanted to say because he's a Gemini and all of these establishment people these older signs, either literally or symbolically, like just not knowing even how to play. Yeah. And I think a lot of that was to that election year in 2016 was South Node Neptune in Pisces. And it was also square to Saturn in Sag. So the lines of establishment were completely blurred. The media as well. I mean, we did find out that the media was the collusion itself, right? Like really trying to play a lot of different roles and a lot of different elements that were not true. Like it was like, you know, like, and it was even like really kind of dark and deceptive too. Like the video on Trump being used against him and then on Hillary, this like, okay, we're going to use the whole server stuff and all this kind of stuff. Like it was like really South node Neptunian, like, and that of course brought about the whole collusion idea which happened for Trump, but the same thing would have happened if Hillary won. There would have been the whole collusion on what did you do with this or Benghazi or all this stuff. So whoever would have won would have gotten that Neptune South Node thing. But there was something about looking at um, Trump's chart with that progressed sun crossing his rising. Yeah, it was a crazy chart when you looked at it. Yeah, it had just more going on. And it and, 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 and you know, Mars on Regulus and on the rising in Leo... I mean, he is very Leonine and and in in the old, you know, ancient astrology, like Mars rising wins in anything it wants in on Regulus. It wins. It is it is given the power to win. 
But it can have the really tremendous, horrible falls too, especially if it's out of integrity and if it's using that energy in a in a bad way. Right. If it's like evil King Leo. Correct. So he's. I think that's his number one battle in his life. You know. I mean, and and you know, we'll see. You know, it's interesting now because his progressed moon just crossed his rising uh, this month, and now he's in his last two months of August and September, where this progressed moon is waiting to catch up with this progressed sun now, which is moving from two to three degrees of Virgo. And he's going to have a progressed new moon in September at three degrees of Virgo. And so this next two months, I mean, just it's going to be interesting to see what happens to him. I mean, he just had, as we're talking, Congress just, you know, blasted him for what he said, you know, a racial tweet. So which is very eclipse. It's very eclipse. But also it's like, You got to also look behind it too. Like there's this distraction with Saturn and Pluto of government stuff of what's really being used as always kind of a facade is is look deeper. Like there's this whole Epstein case going on because that's connected to both sides of the aisle. That's not just anybody. That's every. That's all the creepy weirdos. That's a system. Yeah, that that, is like a. That's a right. That's like bipartisan. (laughs) It's bipartisan because I think it was Nancy Pelosi's daughter who came out and said everyone's. Everyone's on the Lolita Express. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a diversional tactic, which of course will make it seem like maybe we'll impeach him, but not. It's like they're all in on it. Like it's like being like charades, but nobody wants to know the really deeper weird stuff going on. And this has been going on since 2016 with that Neptune South Node, Saturn square it. Now we have Jupiter square Neptune, which I think is an interesting aspect because last time in their home signs was 1852 and 1853 which was a crazy election. It was the end of the Whig party. So a party ends during a Jupiter-Neptune square in their home signs. And it was Pierce who was ranked as one of the worst presidents of all time because it was he was taking both sides of slavery and non-people against slavery. And when you, when he, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't willing to take one side. And Trump kind of did that with the whole thing down there uh, in 2017 when, uh, with the statue of the Confederate being taken down. You know, he took both sides. Like, there were bad sides of both people. Like, right, that's right. a very Pierce thing that would have been said in 1852 and 1853. Yeah. And that caused divide in the country because somebody has to take a stance and be like, no, this is wrong and this is what it is. So when you take both sides, uh-oh. And that's kind of him anyway. You know, he's Jupiter, Libra. He's got Chiron conjunct Jupiter. So his beliefs, he's just always trying to prove himself and his beliefs of fairness and I'm being treated unfair. It's weird. But he also does have a fairness for other people, but... It's a kind of on his own look. It's really weird. It's yeah, kind of I mean, on Jupiter. And he's also like a full moon person. Yeah. So he's always sh- shifting that moon energy, totally. right? Like the moon in its full state is such a flashlight. So he yeah. can put it wherever he wants. He could shine the flashlight on who he likes, who he doesn't like. It's just like he's just out there with this flashlight flailing around trying to spotlight everything. Yeah, and with Neptune squaring his Uranus exactly for the first time in his life here in its most potent sign of Pisces and his Uranus is 17 Gemini and Pelosi's Mercury retrograde in her chart is 17 Pisces. Wow. Mercury retrograde squares his Uranus in Gemini. 2019 is also Saturn sextile Neptune yeah, too. Yeah. So we have Neptune being hit by both, both of the head honchos. Yeah, exactly. And 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 South Node is with Saturn throughout this whole part too. So even though, yeah, Saturn's kind of trying to keep it together, the South Node there too is kind of like, yeah, but it's if, if it's not really in alignment anymore, we got to kind of purge this stuff. So 
we're gonna it, it's gonna get crazy this especially as saturn and pluto come direct and and they're the, also reaching their midpoint yeah, in january 2020 yeah, so get, it's like the conjunction is january 2020 yeah, and the midpoint is which is in midpoint astrology called the hell point yeah, <laughs> it is and so this is a. Uh, This is about to get intense. So we, as astrologers, better be fucking ready to step up. Because I I have said this a few times. I'm not sure if I've actually said this on this podcast, though. Like, when I saw astrology change in the public perception was on election night 2016. I was out at a bar in Brooklyn, and everyone was there. All All of these young kids were there in their pantsuits expecting Hillary to win. And as we watch the televisions, you know, report more and more Trump wins state by state, I saw all of these other people there in their pantsuits, right, with confetti, like becoming more and more depleted, asking why, how is this happening? Is this real? Like what station is this on? Turn the station. It might be somewhere else, something doing something. And at the end of that night, I was with a group of people and all of them were like, Eliza, what's going on astrologically? And they asked me that in a way that they had never, you know, the only times that they had really asked me that before was about their relationship stuff, you know, (laughs) not something on a macro. Or money or career. Right. And they'd be like, Lisa, what's going on? (laughs) But now it was on this macro scale, mundane astrology. Mm -hmm. It was like, what is happening right now? And it was because we found out that night that all of these quantitative pieces of information, all of these like scientists and analysts and all of these people who have become the new gurus, really, these pundits have no idea what they're talking about. They're just making up shit all the time. And somehow over time we forgot that and we thought that, oh, if Politico says it, it must be true. But it's not. Astrologers have their own interpretations that we need to throw into the hat because it's necessary. It's 100% necessary, especially I was in Portland doing a tour because I tour a lot and I was doing a talk that night in Portland and I walked in the room and I said, who's ready for Trump to win tonight? Oh and they God. all went crazy. And it's live. You can watch it on my YouTube. Literally, it's on my YouTube. I'm not lying about that. And uh, I, I prepared people for like, he's going to win. Like, you guys all get ready. And so some people got upset, almost were ready to leave. I'm like, just hear me out here. And then long story short, he won. And then they, you should have heard the, oh, my gosh. And it was also interesting because Mars was at 29 Capricorn that night and then went to zero Aquarius, which is exactly the place where Pluto was in the transformational experience of the revolution. Um, And so, you know, this is, uh, that was the beginning of this new revolution of kind of change that was going to happen. And and change is going to be what most people aren't ready for. You know what I mean? It's not not going to be the same old, same old. So you're right. This also Neptune South Node thing was also realizing that people really don't know what they're doing unless they are tapping into much more higher frequency, you know, connection. Like, and that was also Saturn and, and Neptune squaring off that year. And it was kind of like, there was no rules that, and especially with Saturn and Sag, like there was no rules, you know? And that's, and I think that Trump's learning that he can't, hold that one longer now that Saturn's in Capricorn. Right. But um, he's been able to bend them because they were so bent so far at that point. But that's going to not be there too much longer, if that makes sense. 
So that's a good segue into talking about something I definitely want to make sure that we get to before we close, which is the the twelfth house. Um, and as a twelfth house son, twelfth house son in Leo, at that, what is your relationship with the twelfth house? How do you work with it personally? How do you advise other people work with it? Um, it's the end of the cycle, and it's where a lot of things are unseen. Yes. So uh, the way that I like to look at it is one, it is the one true like test of your alignment in your life as far as your spiritual alignment goes. If you are falling off course from your spiritual path, it will throw you in those crazy places it rules. Jails, hospitals. I mean, you you can go on a long list of them, mental asylums, all of it. But a lot of it is like, because you're doing something that is not pure of intention for the soul, for yourself. And I've always looked at it as the one space of the most bipolar position of all time. Like it is like heaven or hell. Like it really is. It's It, it can be heaven if you dedicate to a spiritual path. So people with sons in the 12th house, I always tell them, I'm like, listen, I know you might not want to hear what I have to tell you, but like find whether you call that God, universe, spirituality, like find that. If you don't have that, you're going to be frustrated the rest of your life because it is roadblock after roadblock after roadblock and you are going to be tired going over those U-turns and and non-stopping. And that's what makes you go crazy, you know? And it is spirituality that lets you learn how to flow and go with things and surrender. And also it's a, it's a place where, you know, it's, it's, it's not really where you have the control. It's like, and astrology is great for a 12th house because it's like, I'm going to go with, with what the universe is doing, you know, and making choices off that, which gets you through the crazy hurdles to the imagination that you can have. It's also hidden, but not hidden. Since technically when a planet rises in the morning, it's actually in the 12th house. I know. What do you think about that? So that's the whole thing is that is it's an interesting thing where the first house is technically uh, where below everything the horizon, is below yeah. the horizon and dark. So we, we the ego can can facade us. And, and we think in astrology, especially like when it's a solar return or something like, oh, let me move this. I'm going to move. I remember one year, if I just drove five miles away, it would be Jupiter in my first instead of the 12th, right? So I was like, I'm going to go Jupiter in the first. And that <laughs> year, it did bring out the Leo King, but it also was very difficult on me and my ego and a lot of things I had to shed and learn from. But um, I think that, that that rising element and that being exposed and shown is that there's a beautiful quality to, to 12th house, anybody with those planets, um, because it, it it is hidden in the sense if it's at a day chart, right? Because the, the sun's going to block it out. But if it's a night chart, it's not hidden and it's seen. And so really, you got to look at it from those ways. So a son of the 12th house is actually a seen 12th house. Like you are, your soul is known. It is seen. And usually you'll see the rising and the sun be the same sign, it's the ones that have rising and suns and different signs with the sun in the 12th that is the one that really is, I would say, the harder one to kind of determine because there is this kind of quality of the ego and the soul are in two different spaces and they're in the 12th. And, and so the soul and the ego are kind of not clicking, you know, and it's like 
they kind of get more of a hall pass, I'd say. Like, uh, I know a lot of clients, it's just kind of like, they're like, kind of just like, like not on the planet a little bit or in the planet too much, not out in the spiritual realm. But I uh, think of the, yeah. I think of the way that the sun works with the 12th house is sort of like, we can visualize dawn, you know, when the sun mm-hmm. is right coming up in the sky and everything has this beautiful sort of pink hue to it and looks sort of otherworldly and mystical and there's still dew, yeah. but you don't have enough, you know, you, your day hasn't started yet. Yeah. You know, your day is just starting and you're starting to see things, but everything is still has that very, it, to me, it's very Neptunian haze yeah. of morning as things wake up. Um, and that is, you know, that is the veil. To yeah. me, I, oh, when I think of the 12th house, I always think of the veil between worlds. Yeah. And that is the separation of dark and light yeah. exists there. And it's beautiful. I mean, most people don't watch sunrises, you know. Uh, when I used to do a lot of LSD, that was the one thing that I would sit and sit for three hours and watch it and watch like clouds. And I would just think like, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. But it's really interesting because it's like kind of taking a timestamp if you were to think of, if you are dealing with 12th house, going planets going through your 12th house or anything, you need to take a stamp at the beginning of the day, like where are you at energetically with your spiritual vibration? And also what is kind of closing? And it's, it's a weird thing because there's, we always associate it with like closing out so we can get ready for the rising cross and ready into the first is a new beginning. But I think that it's like, it's the end of a, of a movie, which is beautiful, you know, or it could be chaotic, I don't know what kind of movie you're watching, you know, but it's like there always is that. And then the credits just roll at the very end. And there's a moment right there at the end of the 12th where people freak out. But that's your ultimate surrender point is like surrender from looking at your iPhone and look at the sun. Surrender from looking at whatever is going on in your life and just take in the beauty and the magic that's going on. And the ultimate 12th house is that it's magic that this whole world is magic. This whole earth is magic. We're magic that we're here, that there is no logical explanation to it, that there's just this emotional, spiritual beauty that you can tap into. And if you can tap into that space, you're fine. If you don't know how to tap into that space and you're distracted and you're in all these other areas and you're escaping the ability to be able to tap in, that's where the problems come. Yes, absolutely. I think that there's so much the 12th house can teach us. Um, and in fact, there's so much that, you know, we can't even get in the first house, right? We don't have that same knowingness in the first because mm-hmm. we're just going, going, going. Yeah. And in I think, order to get to the first, we need to understand the 12th. Totally. And it's interesting because that point, that access point, right, of the rising or even the descendant, but mainly the the rising is like, if you do have a planet there, it's seeing the top of Earth and the bottom of Earth. It sees both sides. Right. Whereas like if you have a planet at the top of your chart or at the very bottom of your chart, like it can only see the bottom part of I, things. I've also found that part. people who have 12th house suns, in particular the sun, have experiences with ghosts, confirm or deny. Yes. Uh, mine are more guides and angels that I talk to and, and psychic work that I do. And I used to work with John Edward there for a minute and did readings on stage with him and medium work. But I, I'm not a medium. I'm much more of like... I connect with your guides and I know what they're saying. Even when I do an astrology reading, it's like, boom, the guides will come up. Like, look, I'll look at a part in a chart, a, a solar arc position to, or a progression or all of it combined. And like, my guys will be like, okay, boom. And then I'll tell them right away. So yes, 
but it would be much more for me. Yeah, I've seen some of the weirdest creatures. I've seen reptilians. I've seen, I've seen shadow people. I've seen all of it. Pretty early. Confirmed. <laughs> Confirmed. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for this conversation. Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at theleoking.com or my network, highvibe.tv, uh, that I co-founded with Abby Mamanihan. And uh, that's where all the daily videos are. We have like nine other talent on there. We have other astrologers like the Peace Dealer and uh, Tim Losey and all these other people. And we're doing about like six to 700 videos a month on there. That's wild. That and is amazing. We're on Apple TV and we just got Roku done and uh, iOS, Android. And uh, yeah, we're just pushing the whole spiritual network thing yeah and and david is definitely the real fucking deal so you know if, so are you thank you i'm really I happy gotta to pump meet up you. another leo you know <laughs> well i always you know we're living in this moment and it's going to get more where there's a lot of people posturing out there so i think that you know as people are asking where can i find a good source in x y and z david is a great source in X, Y, and Z. And so are you, though. <laughs> and, your, and your teachings and what you're doing with your with, when you go out and teach or when you write your articles or all that, you're doing the same thing. This is, this is what happens when two Leos get together, everyone. It's just like we're just shining the light on each other back and forth. It's a it's, lovely thing. We're doing the same. It's weird. We're doing the same thing. And we even like have the same amount of followers on Instagram. And it's like <laughs> really weird. We're like both trekking each other in the same way. It's beautiful. So. <laughs> this is the best. Thank you so much. Yeah.